Welcome to another episode of The Walking Classroom. I'm Laura Fenn, and today I'm at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences in beautiful downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. With me today is Dr. Julia Stevens. She is a postdoc in the genomics lab. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, wonderful. So now I am curious. I don't know a whole lot about this. Um, two parts of your title, postdoc. What is a postdoc? So a postdoc is someone that just recently got their PhD. So this is a doctorate um, for me in the sciences, so in biology. And uh, when you finish your graduate work, you go on to what's called a postdoctoral fellowship. So postdocs, the, sh the shorthand. Okay. Um, and it's kind of like a residency in medical school. So you finished school, but you're not quite there for running your own lab and you know writing grants. And so it's really a time. Um, three to five years on average um, to get a chance to run a lab, uh, write grants, and get learn what it's going to be like on your own. And so that makes sense. I never knew that before. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, and then a genomics lab. What happens in a genomics lab? All right. So we are in the genomics and microbiology lab here. And uh, the micro means small. Small. Okay. Yep. So we have two parts to that. And there's people in our lab studying all walks of both of these things. Um, so genomics is studying the genes or the DNA um, from organisms. So everything living has DNA inside their cells. And that DNA is the code of life. And so the DNA tells our cells how to function and what proteins to produce and what type of cell it should become. And so studying genomics is studying those genes that tell the cell how to function. And so you study from small things up to big things? Exactly, <laughs> okay. exactly. So I am actually a microbiologist, but I study both big organisms. So I study host microbe interactions. And mm. so there's a lot in the news that you hear a lot about microbiomes. And so we've heard a lot about how the bacteria that live in our guts make us healthy. And this has been a really um, hot topic in the last five years. Uh, but I study the microbes associated with other living things that aren't humans. Uh, so that's how I study um, or do my work. Like what? So specifically, during my dissertation, I studied lionfish. So lionfish are an invasive species, and that means that they were introduced into an area where they shouldn't be and that they're harmful to the environment. Where are they now where they shouldn't be that you're studying? They are actually right off our coast of North Carolina. They're all along the U.S. eastern seaboard throughout the Gulf of Mexico, and then throughout the Caribbean Sea, so throughout Central America and South America. But they're not supposed to be there. They're not. They're from. They're supposed to be in the Indian and Pacific Oceans, places like Sri Lanka and Indonesia. Uh, I actually had a chance to go to Taiwan and study them in their native environment there. Um, and so that's where they were from, but they're beautiful fish. And so people wanted them in their aquariums, but they get very big and they eat a lot. And good hearted citizens <laughs> released these fish into the ah. Atlantic and they became invasive ah. and they eat everything. So 41 different species of fish and crustaceans. So, you know, the shrimp and the crabs and things like that. And the lionfish will eat anything that comes in front of it. And so it's a, it's an unnatural balance, right? Between mm -hmm. predator and prey affecting it, the food chain. In the Caribbean, our former top predator on coral reefs were grouper. But you go out to any seafood restaurant in the country and you're going to find grouper on the menu. So we've eaten all of the grouper. 
So it left this space open that was perfect for the lionfish to come in and become the top predator on these reefs. Are lionfish edible? They are edible. I have eaten lots of them. So they actually, so they are venomous, but the venom is in their spines. So describe what a lionfish looks like. I'm imagining a, a big lion mane. <laughs> kind of. So they have these very large pectoral fins. So they'd be like our arms. Okay. Um, so those fins have a whole bunch of rays coming off of them. So lots of lots of fins. And then all along their back, they have all of these spines. And there's 18 of them. Like porcupine. Their, like porcupine spines. Exactly. You can actually pull down the skin from the spine, and it looks like a needle. So the same type of needle you'd get uh, shot from your doctor. Is it? Are they poisonous to people? They are, um, but only at injection site. So if we collect the lionfish and cut those spines off, we can eat the meat, and there's no harm. So how big are the lionfish? Um, they range. They're much bigger in the Atlantic than they are in the Pacific. Because it's um, warmer and they've got yeah, more dinner. Yeah, they can eat anything. There's nothing that uh, can run away from them. Um, they they can get up to 20 inches. Wow. So quite big. So is the research that you're working on to learn more about the lionfish themselves so that we can learn how to control their population? Or what are you trying to so what I focused on was what made them so successful. They're everywhere in these huge numbers, and the control is a hard question, and that's one that we always get asked, people that study lionfish, because they, they breed so, so fast that they, it's just nothing that we can keep up with. So what we can do is study why they've become so successful in hopes that we can stop this from happening with another fish or oh, another okay. organism. And so there's there's two characteristics. Well, there's seven characteristics of a successful invasive species, and two of them have to do with microbes. And so that's what I studied. Um, so the first is a release of pathogens when they're introduced into the new environment. So you can imagine what makes us sick here. If we go to a, a location where that virus or that bacteria is not located, then we won't get sick because it's not there. Right. And so I studied that with the lionfish. Ah, because here in the Atlantic Ocean, what what might have killed the lionfish mm -hmm. off in the Pacific Ocean does not exist in the Atlantic yep. Ocean. So they're not, the lionfish are not going to get sick, so their population will keep increasing. Exactly, uh -huh. exactly. And so I found that the lionfish in the Atlantic didn't have any known pathogens on their skin. So if you looked at our skin, if you looked at the skin of any other type of fish um, or anything, you're going to see pathogens. And they're pathogens not... Pathogens are germs. Germs, yeah, exactly. Stuff that makes us sick. And they, it's not necessarily because we have an infection. They're just there because they're in the environment. But lionfish didn't have any. And I found, so the second of the, actual, the characteristics that I studied was that they keep their beneficial partners. So they keep what we call their symbionts. And so organisms that live and work together to make themselves stronger are called symbionts. And so lionfish kept all of these beneficial partners, all these bacteria that are good for them, and they actually inhibit the growth of the bad, the germs on the lionfish. And those are present in both the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. Uh -huh. Ah, but in the Pacific Ocean, they have the good and the bad. In exactly. the Atlantic, they only have the good. Yep. What first sparked your interest in genomics? How did you get involved in this field of study? I 
didn't know what I wanted to do after college. <laughs> and were you were you a science kid? Were you I was. Child? So I was always into science and always into the ocean. But I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, so smack dab in the middle of the country. <laughs> Nowhere near either ocean. <laughs> yeah. So I think the oceans were just exotic and really cool and really interesting. I always was really into it, always did science fair. I was playing outside, digging in the dirt, seeing what creatures were there. But I, I, got, I got to college and was a little lost and didn't realize that what I was doing playing in the yard and trying to explain or understand nature is actually a career. For me, that took college to figure out that, that I could do that for my every day yeah. and get paid to do yeah, it. Sure. <laughs> and so I went to um, graduate school in South Carolina to get my master's. And they had this program that was marine science. And that sounds awesome. So I applied. And um, I had taken a lot of science classes in college. I have a degree in psychology and biology. But I, I didn't know what that translated to yet. And so I went and did my master's. And there I worked in a lab where we studied microbiology. And so I was growing microbes. But to really understand them, you have to look at the genetic level. That's that's the um, the first step, and then I moved to my PhD, so my doctorate, and there I went and worked with a coral reef biologist, and so I got to travel all over oh, collecting so samples. Cool. But then we used this idea that we we know as microbiologists that only one percent of all microbes we can grow. So if that's the only thing we do to study them, we're missing ninety nine percent of right. the diversity. Right. So the only way to get at that is to study the DNA. And so um, that's what really sparked my interest and there's this whole world of microbes to discover that no one knew was there. How can students learn more about genomics? How can they get involved? Perhaps do you know of any citizen science things that they might do? Um, so there are some citizen science. I'm actually starting a citizen science project um, in our lab on soil microbes. So oh. before I've studied the lionfish bacteria, but now I'm studying the microbes that are in the soil and working with some uh, middle school teachers. And so we're going to have sixth through eighth graders working on this project with us. So what are you hoping to learn from studying the, the soil microbes? Sure. What are you going to learn by looking at dirt? Um, so we're actually looking in the root systems of dandelions. So we chose dandelions because they're everywhere and any everyone can recognize a dandelion. Uh -huh. And um, so that makes it really good for citizen science. And what I my my real research focus is how hosts or organisms or animals, plants, whatever, get their microbes. So where do they come from? And so this project is looking at the microbes associated with dandelions from all different areas and grown in different soils or dirt to see if they can recruit or gain or um, draft their microbes out of the soil. So you're going to be looking at the at what's attached to the roots of different dandelions that are pulled from different soil samples. Exactly, exactly. And so again, just like with the lionfish or with us in our in our guts, the microbes are good for the the plant. And so the plants are, we hope, <laughs> going to um, recruit or draft all of the, the hey, beneficial microbes. Exactly. So they'll actually um, release chemicals from their roots that the microbes will move towards. Um, so the, the microbes are like, hey, this is a really nice environment. And the, the plants are 
like, okay, we need this bacteria because we need nitrogen or right. we need something to break down this pollutant or... Um, the soil really like is alive. The soil is alive. It's so yeah. cool. And not just with the bugs that you see. It's even what you can't see is sure. still alive. So what's your favorite thing about genomics in general? What I mean, you're clearly so passionate. You mm -hmm. love what you do. You're smiling this whole time talking <laughs> about it. It's great. What What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite part of it? Um, <laughs> I have favorite moments. Yeah, tell us about that. Any, any, any one thing can be really frustrating, sure. but that's with anything that you do, not just in science. My favorite moments are the wins. A lot of the things we do is on a level where you can't see what you're doing. The, there's you're, you're looking at little tiny amounts of what looks like water, and you just have to hope that the, <laughs> the DNA is in there. But when you get back these sequences or this this DNA result from that, it's so exciting because it's all this work and it's it's like a risk, but you get this awesome reward from it. Sure. So you put forward this hypothesis, like you're mm -hmm. working now with the dandelion project that, you know, and forgive me, I mean, I don't know if this mm -hmm. is right, but, um, but your hypothesis might be something like the dandelions emit some sort of chemical to attract sure. these beneficial microbes. And then once you do all this data analysis and you have all these, you know, hundreds or thousands of samples, mm -hmm. then when, if your hypothesis is proven true, great. And then yeah. that's, you know, leads it to the next step in the research. And if it's not proven true, then what happens? Then something that I was told in grad school, which is awesome, is that there, there's no bad results. They're just results. And it may not be what we expected, but there's still something to learn and something to gain. And there's going to be a question that comes from it. Progressing from being interested in science to being a scientist is coming up with those questions. And if you can come up with those questions and figure out how to pursue them, then you're a scientist. And anyone could do that. And so that that's really exciting. And that was mind-blowing when I first heard that. Sure. Where there's, just, there's no bad results. They're just results. Right. Sure. <laughs> it's sort of, it's much less pressure to exactly. sort of, to get it right. Because what you presume to be the result, and if it does not always. Right. Sometimes right. it is, and that's great too. Right. But if not, you've learned just as much, just, you exactly. know, down a different avenue. That's fantastic. Um, so our final question. Mm -hmm. Since this is the walk-in classroom, <laughs> do you have a favorite place to walk? Um, so I love hiking, and so I like to walk anywhere where there's nature. The fa my favorite walk that I've ever taken was when I mentioned earlier that I was working in Taiwan. Yeah. Um, there, it's a, it's a volcanic island, and so it's very, very rocky. Yeah. And where I was stationed was this uh, aquarium. So, like, if you took the museum here and it's a museum and there's an aquarium and they plopped it right in Taiwan. It's the same idea, but it's right on the coast. And I'm, I would love just walking along the tide pools um, there because it's so many organisms that I had never seen in the right. Atlantic. And sure. so that's definitely my favorite walk ever was walking along the coast of Taiwan. Just the diversity. Just is, so but... much diversity and seeing fish jump out of the water into the other tide pools. I could just sit there and watch it. You know, they got bored of where they were. They wanted to, you know. Exactly. Um, and I'm sure that as a scientist with your research background, you you know, what must have been going through your yeah, mind, you know, the wheels are always turning. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Of course. Thanks thank for having me. Thank you.